I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. You've just tuned in to Rebel Wellness, the podcast that's here to revolutionize your approach to personal health and well-being. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales, and I'm thrilled to have you join our Rebel community. In a world that's saturated with fleeting diet trends and unrealistic beauty standards, we believe it's time for serious change. Our mission is simple yet profound, to empower women like you to break free from the confines of today's diet culture and embrace a holistic approach to health that's sustainable for the long haul. If you're like me, you're here to embrace the concept that true well-being encompasses every facet of your life, mind, body, and soul. Rebels believe in aligning our journey with our individual needs and values because a one-size-fits-all approach just simply doesn't cut it anymore. This podcast is your safe space to explore the depths of wellness guided by myself, experts, real-life stories, and genuine commitment to your growth. You're here to begin your transformative journey, and it's time to discover your own version of balance in your health. Every week when you tune into Rebel Wellness, we'll learn, grow, and rebel against the polarizing, outdated norms to finally achieve lasting vitality and joy. Because that sounds pretty great, right? Your journey starts now, and I am so excited that you're here. Hello, hello. Welcome to the final month of 2023. I hope you are listening to this episode with a good vibe surrounding you, aka the holiday vibe. Who doesn't love the holiday vibe? If you don't love the holiday vibe, then just ignore all of what I just said. (laughs) Exist as you'd like to exist. But anyways, I want to welcome you to Rebel Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Kaylee, and I am opening up this final month of 2023 with a really fun series that we have created for you all about the best of. So this is something I've definitely seen a lot of podcasts do, and I love the energy of it because we're going to be taking little clips of the best of each episode in three different categories. So I am really excited for you to be here and listening to this today because there are maybe some clips from episodes you haven't listened to yet. And then it's a great way for you to be like, okay, I want to go listen to that gluten episode finally, because I liked what I heard in this clip today, you know, and some of it is like, it's so easy depending on when you hopped into my podcast space (laughs) and are like, Maybe you're just going with every new one since then. Maybe you've never listened to episodes one through 25. You know, a lot of people joined in like the hot take summers era, I would say. And so I think there's a lot of great content from early on that might have gotten lost on you. So if you are a frequent listener, hello, welcome back. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you if I saw you come join our Instagrams because I've seen new faces on there. And so hello, if you are listening to you specifically. (laughs) And if you are new here, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. This is a really great time to jump in because you get a lot of little snacks of some of the topics and the top hits because what we gathered for you is hand-selected ones that we found to be some of our favorites. And we also did listener-selected what were the top episodes and top quotes that people who were listening selected for us as well. So it's a really nice little combination for you. So I really hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you kind of better understand what Rebel Wellness is all about. But on that note, 
As always, come join us on Instagram at Rebel Wellness Podcast and or my flagship coaching page at Kaylee Loren. No longer coached by Kales. I'm still coached by Kales, but I have changed the handle to at Kaylee Loren. If you have followed me beforehand, you might have noticed that. <laughs> but if not, yes, you can come find me at, at Kaylee Loren. My name is spelled very odd. Thank you to my parents. It is not your standard Kaylee. Nobody at Starbucks can ever spell it correctly, but for what it's worth, K-A-I-L-E-I-G-H. <laughs> Don't forget the first I. And then Loren spelled like Lauren. So that should be easy to find. If not, go to the show notes. There will also be a link that my amazing show notes person will put together for you. <laughs> so anyways, um, hello, Biliana. You have been a very amazing show notes person. I have to give you a little shout out as well as to Emily, my podcast editor. She is amazing. She is everything to do with what makes me sound professional <laughs> on this space. So as a closing out thank you i have to shout out to some of the people who have been on my team and helped make rebel wellness podcast what it is today and i think we are just rounding the corner on about fourteen thousand listens or streams rather and that is amazing i am so excited about that to do my whole first year of podcasting as well as that I want to make sure you know that we just launched this month our first newsletter and for Rebel Wellness newsletter, and it is just jam-packed with a bunch of awesome nutrition tips, fitness tips, articles I think you should read, and like I even made, for example, this month, a cool little mocktail holiday Pinterest board for you that I shared links to. So there's a lot of great stuff that I plan to continue to pack monthly, so only one time a month, not one of those annoying things where you start to get bombarded with a ton of emails and emails and emails because <laughs> I personally hate that. So if you want to come join our newsletter, go to coachkales.com and you can join right there. Come join our community. I would love it. Okay. So today we are going to do the best of nutrition. So all of the topics that we covered in the nutrition world that I think were some of, well, many of them were our top hit episodes altogether. Some of them just completely skyrocketed to the top of the most listens, um, that would be number one is the carbs episode. <laughs> so we're going to be sharing clips all about carbohydrates, fats, collagen, gluten. We're going to get into some of the dark sides of some nutrition habits, such as alcohol and crash dieting dangers, things that were really popular for listeners and or thought provoking things that we really liked to share about and that our listeners did as well. So we have all of that great stuff in the rest of this episode for you. We've kind of chunked them into nice little snacks here and there of that information. And again, if you find any of this stuff really digestible and interesting and helpful, I would love for you to share it with somebody you think that would want to learn. And you're always welcome to screenshot this episode or push the little share button if you're on like Spotify or something and share it to your story because that would be great and help our podcast grow and I would be forever thankful. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this episode and we are going to enjoy the best of nutrition. And this is sometimes too why you hear uh, weightlifters consuming intra-carb, intra-workout carb drinks. And that is something people are trying to maintain their energy, power, and overall output throughout their entire workout by 
consuming carbs simultaneously while utilizing the glucose. And so when it comes to carbohydrate consumption, I usually recommend following an 80-20 or a 70-30 as far as complex carbs in the higher percentage of most of what you eat every day and every week in comparison to simple carbs. So oftentimes the standard American diet is the opposite. It's usually 80 to 90% simple carbs um, and very small amounts of complex carbs. So if you flip that ratio, it will be a game changer for how your body reacts to carbs. So it's really, really key to understand that concept because they all carbs are not made the same. This is a common myth that is that is why I did actually a myth episode on carbs make you fat. Um, but because it's it's very different or very important to distinguish complex versus simple. So complex carbs consumed dominantly can look like something like a paleo diet because a paleo diet involves carbs very adequately if not in more excess um, in every meal, but it's the source of the carbs that matter. So no, a carb is not just a carb. It's either a complex carb or a simple carb. So a quick list of some of the healthier sources of carbs, uh, if that's something you're wondering, would be anything in the category of fruits, such as berries, apples, bananas, oranges, etc. Berries have the most fiber involved, so I tend to recommend berries um, daily, especially also because of the antioxidants, but vegetables such as broccoli, spinach, sweet potatoes, carrots, etc., legumes, lentils, chickpeas, black beans, kidney beans, um, whole grains that include brown rice, quinoa, rolled oats, and even sprouted wheat can count in that category, um, and dairy products that involve milk and yogurt because they have a naturally higher occurring amount of carbs because of the lactose. It's something that if you hear people say they're lactose intolerant, such as moi, um, we don't create genetically lactase, which a lot of people, especially people who come from backgrounds that were in like Nordic regions or any region that consumed dairy more frequently, those people's genetics tend to come with a better production of lactase, the enzyme that breaks down lactose. However, people like me who have Japanese and Filipino backgrounds, we didn't come across um, lactose as frequently because we didn't utilize cattle and other kind of dairy producing animals, um, which I believe is only cows. <laughs> Thus, we can't break down lactose without taking either a lactase enzyme or consuming something like probiotics in our yogurt, naturally occurring probiotics that those bugs actually eat the lactose. That's what they grow from um, and thrive from. So those are items that you can actually consume the dairy if you are somebody like me who's lactose intolerant because the lactose is removed. Or for those who want to consume a whey protein powder for its benefits for their health, um, for muscle building or muscle maintenance, you would air towards whey isolate protein or whey hydrolysate protein, which those are the most processed version of whey protein to purify it and remove the lactose from it. So it is one of the quicker sources of protein that gets into your system um, and 
it would remove the lactose. But again, those whey proteins are more of a protein powder, not a carb. Um, any of the other whey, like whey concentrate, that does include a lot more carbohydrates that naturally occur in the milk. Um, and so you can get a good source of carbs should your body digest it well. So just be aware of that. Not all necessarily whey protein the same. Um, whey can be in different forms. So if you are somebody who tends to struggle with incorporating more complex carbohydrates into your diet, I'm gonna give you a couple of ideas of things to think about um, to do that more frequently. Um, and it is also important to know that you will probably have somewhat of an addictive reaction to simple carbohydrates, especially if you've been consuming them dominantly for multitude of weeks, months, years, because again, because the structure is so simple and gets into your bloodstream so quickly, it's easy for your body to kind of get quote unquote addicted to the sugars. And um, it might feel really challenging to try to get out of that cycle but complex carbohydrates help that because they are still providing your body with that glucose um, more easily than proteins and fats. But at the same time, it will be in a way that you can kind of shift towards just a healthier source of carbohydrates and away from these super hyperpalatable addicting carbohydrates. So switching to whole grains or naturally occurring starches by switching out your refined carbohydrates and reaching more for things like brown rice quinoa, potatoes, like even white potatoes are absolutely fine for you. Potatoes got the bad rap when we started just smothering them with butter and bacon and sour cream. That's why white potatoes in diet culture got such a bad rap. But in reality, russet potatoes are one of the highest sources of potassium out of all the food sources. They are higher than bananas, like significantly higher than bananas in potassium for you. And it's also good to know that um, potatoes include prebiotics and probiotics for your gut. So don't cut potatoes out of your life. Potatoes are actually a very great slower digesting complex carb to swap in and swap out your breads, cereals, baked goods, white rice, etc. Another thing to do is find places to add more fruits and vegetables. Um, all my clients know I'm a vegetable pusher. So it's great for you to try to incorporate vegetables in every single meal. So for a lot of people who know me, I tend to do kind of like sauteed arugula or spinach in my eggs or under my eggs, depending on how I prepare my eggs for the for breakfast in the morning. Or I will do macro life naturals, um, macro greens powder. I do a scoop of that with my breakfast if I'm doing like a protein oatmeal. So I'm trying to incorporate some sort of vegetable in every single meal and breakfast tends to be the hardest one for people to kind of find ways to put vegetables in so those are some of my ideas of how i do it but then i highly recommend batch cooking a bunch of other vegetables roast them or saute them please do not steam them or boil them or anything like that because you're going to be leaching all of the good nutrients out of it and pretty much taking a beautiful vegetable item from the earth and making it wither into a watery soggy version and that is totally unnecessary and it's going to make vegetables way less enjoyable for you so highly recommend you always 
um, roast, pan roast them or roast them in the oven to really accentuate their flavor and help them shine. And always add sea salt and or fresh cracked pepper, spices, get involved with spices for all of your vegetables. And it's going to make them taste so much better. Garlic, onion, etc. Um, but also back to that, for, for the fruit side, like I had said before, try and adding in berries to your breakfast. Um, I always add berries on top of all my oatmeal, not only because it adds an acid to what's usually creamy from my protein that I mix in, um, but it also involves a lot more fiber and various vitamins and minerals that come naturally from those, um, from the produce itself. And the other very common <laughs> hack is just adding things like spinach or kale or something like that to your smoothies if you are a smoothie person. Um, I don't personally love uh, smoothies frequently, especially not for a daily thing. Um, they tend to have kind of more of a negative effect on your gut, especially because the smoothie machine is doing what your mouth and your digestive system is supposed to be doing. So if you've ever felt kind of weirdly bloated um, every time you consume smoothies, especially if it's a higher sugar smoothie, like you involved a lot of fruits into it um, and honey or whatever, like anything from Jamba Juice is way too much sugar. It's not healthy um, for your blood sugar at that point because most of them con uh, contain more than 20 grams of sugar per serving. Like that'd be the smallest size. I think the biggest size is usually anywhere from 40 to 70 grams of sugar per serving, which is insane. So I would say um, probably don't opt towards smoothies very often, but you can always add spinach to help create more of a complex um, digesting reaction and get more of those nutrients in. Um, but again, I'm not a big fan of smoothies, so I don't, I'm not going to talk too much in depth about them because they're just not, they're not nourishing enough. In my opinion, they kind of can be depends on the day, but I digress. Um, and then another thing that you can do is opt for legumes, um, such as beans and lentils, because they have a great amount of fiber and different plant-based amino acids for like the proteins, as well as they just add more volume to your meals. Um, volume meaning just more on your plate for a higher nutrient density. So it's kind of different than if you just kept putting on more scoops of white rice, as much as I would love that because I'm a big white rice fan, but that's the Japanese coming out of me, I suppose, or the Filipino, you know, take your pick. But that's a good way to incorporate more protein and minerals is by throwing lentils or beans into your salads, your soups or whatnot. And if you're somebody who's a frequent uh, soda drinker or sugary Starbucks or for my, my, everybody in the Pacific Northwest drinks Dutch Brothers, you know, if you're somebody who frequents a anything daily where you're drinking a lot of your simple carbohydrates, it's probably one of the easiest ways to improve your blood sugar balance and your health overall is literally removing that drink altogether, whether you have to wean it down or change your order. Um, for example, Starbucks, because they're um, app, I highly recommend you download that app and you can always order your food or at least look at the um, nutrition labels from the app because they've got all of their menu items on there and it's really easy for you to just adjust something. So you'd be amazed at how many of their drinks involve like three pumps of their sweetener 
I think almost anything that is a tall is three pumps of their sweetener. Anything that's a grande is four pumps. Anything that's a venti is going to be like five to six pumps and so on. And that is a lot of grams of sugar. Even if you're getting the sugar free, um, it's just a lot of sweet chemical. <laughs> and I'm not going to really talk about the difference between sugar free things and actual sugar things. Obviously, sugar-free does not technically have carbohydrates in them. Um, so if I guess if you were trying to reduce the carbs you're actually consuming, try going sugar-free first and then shift down to reducing how many pumps you have in it. So for me, I personally always reduce. Um, at this point, I pretty much remove the sugar from everything because Starbucks has other item components, such as their like cold foam or their... Um, added flavoring syrups, or for example, their matcha, their matcha powder is already sweetened itself. So you can actually just remove all the added sugar that they involve in it. Let's say that green tea matcha latte, you can ask them to not add the vanilla sweetener and just do the matcha powder. And even their alternative milks and regular milk has sugar as well, has carbs as well because of that. So Reducing your carbs for your sugary beverages can look like removing a lot of the adding added sugar to a lot of those drinks and getting used to the taste and flavor of them as you remove that amount of sweetness. And trust me, if you can dedicate at least two weeks to reducing your sugars in all of the drinks you consume that are really naturally high sugar your mouth is going to start to actually get used to the flavor of it with less sugar. You have to give it the opportunity to reduce the way that your saliva influences your taste buds. Um, and trust me on this one, give yourself two minimum up to four weeks shifting your coffee drinks to something less sweet. And I guarantee you're going to get more used to it. And it's also just something to be open-minded about. Like a lot of people are just, I can't cut this down. It just tastes gross. Okay, then don't drink it. Like <laughs> I hate to be super um, kind of hardcore about it, but you can't simultaneously overconsume sugar and hope that your health is going to get better. It's kind of like walking around in a circle and having a map, but not reading the map and just continuing in your circle. You have to realize that you have to remove some of these uh, sugary items from your diet if you want to succeed in uh, your long-term health goals if those sugary items every day have contributed to where you are now. So sometimes it kind of just takes you like smacking yourself in the face and being like, look, enough is enough. Do I need this as a Trenta or as a Grande even? Can I just be okay with having it as a tall? You know, those little changes every day, week, month are going to compound and get you much closer to your goal in the long run. So there are four major different types of fats and they all impact our health in one way or the other. So keep in mind that all fat containing foods have a mixture of these fats, but some have higher amounts of some than others. So the first fat we'll talk about is monounsaturated fats. So this type of fat is often referred to as a healthy fat. Monounsaturated means there is one double bond in the fatty acid chain, giving the oil some amount of flexibility and fluidity. So monounsaturated fats are called MUFAS. That's what they're kind of acronym to. 
and they are liquid at room temperature and they tend to solidify in the refrigerator. So monounsaturated fat is the least controversial of all the fats and it's likely protective against diseases like heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, and even certain cancers. A higher (laughs) proportion of monounsaturated fat in our diet reduces the risk of insulin resistance and it also benefits the body in um, inflammatory response. So it could even help keep us leaner. So they're found in lots of healthy whole foods. The most common sources include olives, olive oil, avocado, avocado oil, nuts, such as almonds, macadamia nuts, and pistachios. And, you know, something that's important to note about this stuff is you always want to look for extra virgin if you are purchasing oil from the store. And a good amount of monounsaturated fats do not have a high heat point or a high smoke point. So that means that they break down and turn into a trans fat because it adjusts the structure when you heat a fat. And if you're cooking with, let's say, olive oil, like pure extra virgin olive oil, and you get the heat too high past its threshold and it burns, you're going to need to wipe that all out and get rid of it and start over. I honestly would say you don't really want to cook high heat with olive oil because you're going to destroy all the benefits of olive oil, um, unfortunately. And you'll find that they have a higher processed version. It's usually like the the nearly clear version of olive oil and it's usually cheaper. It's like by Bertoli and stuff like that. Um, That becomes less healthy because now they've processed it too highly. Extra version simply means hardly been touched, just pressed out of the olive. And that same goes for everything, extra virgin coconut oil, extra virgin avocado oil, etc. When you have expeller pressed, that means you start to get into a heating and pressing chemically process. So that takes the oil further away from its most natural state, which is less therapeutic for the body. So that's important to know is that not all oils are the same. Always opt for extra virgin where you can and I understand a lot of people purchase avocado oil as a healthier version of a high smoke point, but it's always, again, if you look at the bottle, it's expeller pressed avocado oil, and that is kind of canola oil adjacent at that point. So I would say just kind of be aware of that and try to use it sparingly as much as possible so you're kind of reducing that imbalance of more processed oils in your body. But also something that's interesting that you may not realize is many animal foods are high in um, monounsaturated fats as well. So egg yolks are predominantly monounsaturated fat. That's why they actually are truly very healthy for everybody. (laughs) Um, They have gotten demonized over the years for various reasons, but honestly, they are the cheapest, most complete, accessible protein um, that actually are not truly harming animals when in a a good uh, natural state. Because like I think I said in the previous episodes, chickens lay eggs regardless of being in a factory farm or something like that. So again, I like to support local egg farmers, um, but That is one of the best things you can eat for good quality fats in the beginning of the morning, good quality, complete protein um, for a whole bunch of reasons. And eggs can contain things like choline and various other extremely important vitamins and minerals. So honestly, they're kind of a powerhouse. So if you've been somebody who's been avoiding eggs because just your parents or your grandparents were like demonizing eggs for you and said they're so bad, they're high in cholesterol, dietary cholesterol is not converted the same as cholesterol when you are making it yourself. So when an animal makes cholesterol and it it becomes the content of cholesterol in the egg, so to speak, 
your body doesn't take that cholesterol and make it cholesterol in your own body because it's already been made. So what they've found is that you basically expel that cholesterol. That cholesterol is not going to add to your own. So there's a lot of kind of misinformation in the cholesterol world as well. But eggs, even though they're high in cholesterol as a number, it's already completely made cholesterol. Therefore, your body is not going to make it itself as its own cholesterol. I hope that makes sense. I know it's a little confusing, but um, you don't just absorb somebody else's cholesterol the same. Your body has to create the cholesterol out of different components of the food you eat. And also half the fat found in pork and beef is monounsaturated as well. This is why we have found with diets like paleo diets and things like that are very health promoting, um, especially too when people are eating keto. Um, this can also be more of a um, anti-inflammatory path because they are focusing more on that and less on processed carbs and things like that. Okay, so let's talk about saturated fat. <laughs> this is also another one that's kind of misunderstood. So saturated fat has all the single bonds in its fatty acid chain, making it more rigid and structured than other types of fats. That's why these fats are solid at room temperature. Um, it's commonly called a bad fat and gotten bad rap over the years, thanks to poorly executed research and industry influence over the past few decades. But the truth is like there's very little evidence, especially aka scientific evidence, that saturated fat in moderate amounts has any negative impact on our health. This is a fact. Unfortunately, I don't know exactly what they are benefiting from making saturated fat so um, repelling people from it so intensely, but uh, evidence published in 2017 shows that saturated fat intake is not associated with cardiovascular disease or stroke. And seven other review papers have found the similar results in modern science. Therefore, I think we've been misinformed for a long time or, again, poorly executed research, which is very common in the food industry um, because people pay for people to put out these things to sway the masses into eating their other products. That's just the history of big food, unfortunately. So saturated fats play an essential structural role in the body, especially the structure of cell membranes. Um, this is really, really important because certain saturated fatty acids even show benefits for energy metabolism, immunity, intestinal health, and metabolic health. So many of these fats are found in animal foods and contain fat-soluble vitamins, which is A, D, E, and K. If you don't consume a fat with those vitamins, like if you're taking a daily multivitamin and you're not consuming enough fat with it, your body cannot absorb it. It is fat soluble, meaning that it needs that fat to be utilized in the body. So avoiding saturated fats entirely makes it challenging to get adequate amounts of all three of these nutrients from our food, and they are essential nutrients. Our body needs them as cofactors for specific systems in our body to work properly. And I will like point towards the fact that there was a recent coconut oil scare in the headlines, and much of this position by the AHA is based on outdated guidelines for saturated fat intake. So coconut oil is not a dangerous food, especially, like I said, extra virgin coconut oil, its most low processed form, but it's also not like a magic cure-all. So again, this is where that moderation and understanding the food you're eating and why is very important. But I remember when this study came out and I remember reading a very specific study done on isolated tribes in the Amazon who consume high saturated fat diets because they consume animal proteins and coconuts because coconuts is one of their main fat sources and they had zero occurrence of heart disease. So that was kind of a very specific controlled situation where somebody in, lived their entire life 
consuming a high saturated fat diet and didn't have heart disease. Therefore, what do we also consume in our diets that does contribute to our heart disease problem? Cough, cough, uh, carbs and processed things, cough and seed oils. But um, that's kind of a good way to understand that, no, it's not the coconut oil or the saturated fat. It is obviously something else that is going on in our specific kind of culture and environment to that extent. So that's important to note that there are so many different researchers who have spent time learning this and figuring it out. So correlation versus causation for the heart risk disease in the U.S. is not necessarily um, as straightforward as don't eat coconut oil. It's making you have heart disease. Like now that is really not what's giving people heart disease. So with that said, the majority of the population can consume saturated fat as a significant proportion of their fat intake and not experience an increase in chronic disease risk. That is a fact, especially if you're managing your processed foods, your sugar intake, etc. But there is a small subset of the population who may benefit from a reduction in saturated fat intake. There are certain genetic factors that affect the way the body processes saturated fats. And for some people, a higher saturated fat diet intake raises their LDL cholesterol, and it might increase their weight. So it's if that's a case for somebody, if they have noticed that happened to them, it's worth doing some genetic analysis. If you're seeing significant weight gain or extremely elevated LDL on a diet that's higher in saturated fat. But again, very small subset of the population. So foods that are higher in saturated fat, aside from what I had already mentioned to you, um, is beef, lamb, pork, dairy products like butter and cheese. And for butter, I always usually recommend going for that grass-fed version because there is significant um, difference in how much omega-3s and other good quality nutrients are in grass-fed milk from cows versus standard. But consuming these foods regularly for most healthy people, there is no need to fear these foods in your diets. They are actually usually more health-promoting than anything that's adjusted, low-fat, low-carb. And as long as they're in their most natural state, like I mentioned before, we don't actually have any significant unbiased (laughs) emphasis on unbiased evidence otherwise. So that hopefully should bring you some assurance that all of those foods actually don't have any evidence saying that they are bad for you to consume relatively regularly if you're a healthy adult. So do remember uh, a lot of the evidence or science that you'll Google and find online was if you find out who funded it, you're going to find out that it was big corporations who funded it. And um, the results were from small group studies or anecdotal extremist hearsay by somebody who wrote a book and cultivated a following. So they brought this big blog into a good presence. And so they've got all these people drinking their Kool-Aid just so they can keep making money off of selling their very specific extreme diet plan. And that does not mean that it is good for you. A lot of people say like, well, if it's working for a lot of people, we don't actually know because most of the time, if you would say if something is working for somebody, you cannot gauge it by, are they losing weight? That That is a toxic old thought process that if you lose weight, you must be getting healthier. Those are both not an equation of A plus B equals C. That is completely wrong because I've seen a lot of people get leaner because their gut health is wrong, they're sick, they're reducing an entire macronutrient from their uh, body and their body is going into its reserves and it's dying, literally. Um, I've seen horrible blood work from people who are not taking care of their eating enough, etc. So just because somebody gets smaller does not mean they're getting healthier. So I just have to like really 
write that one home because it's so important to understand that and start unwriting that narrative from your own history mentally because it's so easy to because that's what we think right and you get compliments when people say like you look leaner you must be healthier and it's like not always you know but again to finish out the saturated fat chat the caveat here is that just because saturated fat isn't likely to harm you in moderate quantities it doesn't mean you should um, be adding tablespoons of extra fat to food and beverages like i would highly not recommend that um but the evidence supports consuming saturated fats as part of a balanced diet including a variety of other fats and nutrients can be very health promoted and eating tons of like isolated saturated fats like coconut oil and butter in your food probably won't benefit your waistline just because still it's a calorie surplus potentially. So just be aware of that. Okay, moving into polyunsaturated fat. This is one of the more confusing and complicated fats. We refer to them, you might see them all over if you're on like health talk or nutrition uh, Instagram, et cetera, um, P-U-F-A-S. So they contain two or more single bonds in their fatty acid chains, keeping them fluid even at cold temperatures, aka like canola oil, grapeseed oil, etc. The two most commonly discussed PUFAS are um, omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. So omega-6 fats are found primarily primarily in nuts and seed oils and grain-fed animal fats. And omega-3s are found in fatty fish, certain nuts and seeds, grass-fed animal fats, like I said about the grass-fed butter, the grass-fed milk from cows, and egg yolks. So these single bonds are also make these fats more susceptible to oxidative damage when exposed to heat, light, or oxygen, which is why they kind of can smell rancid when they go bad. And once they get oxidized, they become inflammatory and toxic to the body. So this is why a high consumption of polyunsaturated fats is associated with chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, obesity, inflammatory bowel disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and Alzheimer's actually even. Eating fatty fish, grass-fed meats, egg yolks, and moderate amounts of whole nuts and seeds is likely fine, but using polyunsaturated fat-rich oils to cook with may lead to increased inflammatory risk. So I would avoid different oils like industrial seed oils like canola, corn oil, soybean oil, margarine, grapeseed oil. Basically, if it comes from a seed, it has to be highly processed out of that seed because that is not a natural oil source. Nuts are a natural oil source. Seeds are not. They are not the same. So do know that the higher process, something has to get an oil out. Historically, the body has never been able to do that before, right? So we can't eat things that have been made to be magically an oil. And canola oil, fun fact, was first created to be an industrial lubricant. And so then they discovered, oh, it's actually relatively safe for humans to consume. Um, But it's very high in omega-6s and their stupid packaging that says uh, heart healthy is not true. It's very misleading. There's so many packaging things. Um, I need to go through all of those for you guys too, so you can learn about that. But um, canola oil is not heart healthy and it is not good for you in that sense. So it's literally an industrial lubricant. So I would say avoid industrial, uh, seed oils as much as you can, because there aren't very many health benefits ever from them. They are artificial because they have to be processed highly out of a plant or a seed. And those do not create oils naturally. What creates oils naturally are grass-fed meats, fish, and eggs, nuts, etc. So why can't I 
use collagen protein for my daily protein intake. And with everything I have said so far about the structure and nothing more than just physiology in mind, a food is considered complete if it contains those nine essential amino acids um, and it has to be in adequate amounts. So this distinction is important because while several plant-based foods technically contain all nine essential amino acids, they may not contain them at appropriate levels and or in their most digestible forms because our gut cannot just innately digest everything perfectly. That's why a lot of times certain people cannot utilize B vitamins from supplement form. They have to be a methylated or activated version to actually be utilized by the body. And so... They need to be high quality sources of protein to classify them as a complete protein source. So collagen is only three amino acids, which does not make it a complete protein. Therefore, it is not a branch chain of amino acids and it cannot go towards your muscle in your body for that reason. So this is definitely doesn't mean that vegetarians and vegans can't achieve high quality proteins. They just have to become more mindful of combining foods that have respective amino acid profiles to complete the branch chain that they're looking for so that they can reap both the benefits of collagen and muscle building protein. Because protein does a lot more in the body than just this, but this is what we're focusing on right now. So if you're following macronutrients and you have 120 grams of a protein goal, I tend to recommend for my clients to not add the grams from collagen supplements into their daily protein intake because there's a good chance that it is not going to be absorbed at that amount of grams and utilized for muscle because it isn't the structure and the amount of amino acids necessary to really count towards a total gram of protein in my eyes because most of the time we are trying to track protein consumption with the effort of maintaining our total lean body mass and adding lean muscle tissue if that is your goal. So therefore we need each and every one of those grams that you're tracking towards on whatever tracking app you're using to be a complete protein gram. So again, that's not to say you can't consume collagen because it has a ton of beautiful functions in the body, but I just would not use those grams towards your total daily intake. Yes, there's a lot of chemicals on all foods, but since we do know and have hard evidence that glyphosate is negative for the human body, could point towards other issues for our babies and things like that, including autism, we really want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and reducing it as much as possible. So um, that brings me to kind of my hot take more so on gluten. It's really important to understand that you always get a choice on what you consume. You don't have to be team gluten, team not gluten. You don't have to be black or white about it. My approach is reduce it, maybe cut it out for several weeks, reintroduce it, see how your body reacts. Do you get bloaty? Do you get brain fog? Do you get inflammation that you can feel like swelling joints or puffy face? And do you maybe get sick? Maybe you get barfy, maybe you get headaches. Those are all signs that you're intolerant to gluten and, or the chemicals used in gluten uh, or gluten products rather. 
And if that it is you, also acne, acne is one of them for sure. Um, if you are getting reactions when you reintroduce gluten products, you may want to explore an 80 or 90% gluten-free life. Oh my gosh, I could never do that. You might be thinking that, you know? Um, my best advice for anyone who thinks that there's no way I could cut out gluten, I love pizza, I love bread, I love whatever, you know? I do too. I freaking do too. But I actually have just found that reducing my consumption of it overall not only helps my body composition and my energy and my overall physical health, it also makes it a little more special in the times that I do indulge in pizza and things like that. We do have to remember that a lot of food items that are like commonplace these days are actually still treats. So not just in the sense of sugar, because like obviously an ice cream sundae or something is for sure a treat, but so is pizza and so is anything that is a really in a burger. Those are treat meals because they're so high in so many different um, macronutrients, like they're high in fat, they're high in carb, oftentimes very low in protein still, which is why it's kind of a red flag. And that's how I kind of differentiate treats from meals is if the protein is like incomparable to the amounts of carbs and fats involved in it, it's probably a treat. Um, and that's a good little rule of thumb for you. If you are looking at a label and the carbs are 75 grams for a serving and the fats are like 40 or 30 grams of fat and the protein's like 12 grams, you know, not a good source of protein and a very high source of carbs and fat. And something to understand too, if you haven't listened to any of the macro series, episodes 19 through 22, or any of the other episodes where I've talked about this, when you're over consuming carbs and fat, carbs and fat are your energy nutrients. And so they get stored. They will always be stored as fat if they're in excess and you don't burn them with your activity in the next couple of days. Thus, if you're over consuming those or you're frequently eating burgers or you're frequently eating burritos or any of these items that tend to not have very good sources of protein to balance out the carbs and fat, you're most likely storing fat or not able to burn fat at all. And a lot of those items contain gluten. So you're also getting a double whammy of too much nutrients or too much macronutrients, um, so aka too much calories. And you're also getting inflammation and other potential um, gut issues from the gluten itself. So that's where we tend to see a lot of people stay in this kind of stuck inflammatory and um, caloric surplus state because it's not very productive of good health, unfortunately. And I would define things that are productive of good health as being good quality whole food sources with high amounts of good quality protein and fiber, as well as good natural fats in every meal that nourish you. You wanna think of your food as nourishment and fuel not as just the next thing to eat to get by, because that's going to give you a body that's just getting by. If you want a body that's not just getting by, you need to feed it and take care of it in a way that's going to make it thrive and energetic and operating optimally. So if it came to the question of whether or not you should go gluten-free, speaking to most of my females, males as well, but dominantly to my females, since that is my listening base and my you know expertise, you should probably consider cutting out gluten at least 60% at first. Move it into the 70%, move it into the 80%, which would look like like 60 to 80% less gluten looks like you're not having gluten five to six days out of the week. 
one day maybe you have something that has gluten in it. Then you can try cutting it out to like hardly ever at all and only having it on certain special occasions. I'm a huge person to support balance in life because I I see the benefits of being as healthy healthful as you can as often as possible but also enjoying life and living your life because in reality the amount of time we have here on earth is quite short but that isn't in a way where you shouldn't feel good and take care of yourself as best you can more often than not but it's also in a way where it's okay and you totally have absolute permission to enjoy yourself and do the things that the humans do nowadays so I'm not going to be somebody who's like, you shouldn't be doing this. You should take out this. You should blah, blah, blah. Because honestly, I find that a little bit as like um, nutritional elitism because you're talking to like one very specific little group of girls in LA or something like that who can actually eat like that and afford that lifestyle. In reality, a lot of us have different life situations, different ethnic backgrounds, different upbringings and ideas of health, you know. And so some people don't really need to be as perfect on everything. And I think that that's, that's okay. And that's all ideal. And I'm like having another hard day of speaking. But I just want to make sure that you understand that me asking you to reduce your gluten or mentioning it, I'm not necessarily asking you, but me suggesting you try it has always gotten my clients in better health. I have worked with hundreds of clients and once they finally cut out gluten, whether it was from listening to me or listening to somebody else who finally said the same thing again, their health has significantly improved once they finally removed a lot of gluten containing products. And that's not just because they stopped eating like ho-hos and mini muffins, you know, it's actually because removing little traces here and there of gluten containing products or maybe glyphosate containing products has benefited their health because they finally got to get to a place where they have less inflammation in their body and especially in their gut, which closes those tight gap junctions that should not be open to letting food into your bloodstream. And then healing the body so that it actually can absorb nutrients and um, poop properly. You know, it's not vulgar to talk about poop. Poop is so important. And poop is a report card. Your period is a report card report card of your health every month and your poop is a report card of your health every day. If things are not normal and not flowing, you're not detoxing properly and you're going to be experiencing negative effects of all of that, honestly. Um, Especially one of the main things I see is if you don't have bowel movements consistently daily, you're probably keeping too much estrogen in your body because excess estrogen is excreted in your fecal matter. And if you're just holding it all up in there, whatever your lifestyle is or your eating habits are, your body will reuptake that estrogen. And then you get into that position of estrogen dominance where you have too much estrogen in comparison to progesterone. But all that to say, when your body is in an estrogen dominant state, you pile on body fat, like nobody's business. You're going to see body fat patterning in your thighs, hips, and lower belly. And sometimes backs of your arms, that's female body fat patterning in general, but we really shouldn't be seeing a ton of belly fat. And if you do have a ton of belly fat that correlates to the two hormones, cortisol and estrogen, and when estrogen is not checked by your progesterone, which is the whole point of why I'm talking about this, you're going to see a lot of belly fat in that area. And then that's going to cause kind of more hormonal distress. So pay attention to your body's little report cards, as in what is your cycle like? Are your symptoms horrible? Are they okay? Or are they like mild or not at all? Uh, If they're horrible, 
something is wrong. I don't care who tells you that it's normal. It's common. It's not normal. So the next topic is on water fasting. And um, it's been lately getting like a lot more attention based off of leading to rapid weight loss and detoxification effects. So I'm kind of following the juice cleansing with this one because it's another version of uh, some people's understanding of trying to biohack or something like that with their health. When in reality, it's not always necessary. A huge, it's important to note that a huge reason people are kind of fascinated with fasting is that the body is actually very good at taking care of itself when it's in an unfed state. So fasting literally just means unfed. So you don't have food, food still chilling in your body. So it's at least after like four or five hours of eating, your body should be completely done digesting and be completely in an unfed state. So fasting, sometimes like I've had the previous episode on intermittent fasting where you eat in certain windows and water fasting is actually you just remove food altogether for a period of time. And the thing that's really interesting about this topic is that I don't want to go into too deeply because I don't think hardly anybody should be doing this, mostly for the fact, especially for females, because we require food more consistently daily than men, because our body system is so concerned with protecting and keep, at least for the premenopausal women, I'll preface that. It's so concerned with protecting us from being in an unfertile state and a well-fed state is a fertile state most of the time, not an overfed, a well-fed. So well-fed meaning that you are eating adequately for your lifestyle and body's needs. So with that said, water fasting, if you're removing food from your diet and you're only able to drink water, I don't think anyone should do this without being A, checked by a um, medical professional, and B, they should probably be doing it under medical supervision as well, because removing food from your diet can make you lose a lot of your essential nutrients and such, especially depending on how long you do it for. And some people can manage all right, especially males. Uh, Males can definitely sustain something like this longer just by pure physiology differences uh, with their hormones and their needs. And again, female bodies want to protect us and keep us able to make babies. So we have like emergency systems that shoot on way faster when we're even just like half a day out of food. So I don't know if you've been like me before and you've not eaten like skipped meals because of being too busy with something. And then you get home and you're like super lightheaded Like you feel like you're going to pass out or you're super ravenous and you want to eat whatever you can get your hands on because you're just hella cranky. That's because your blood sugar is like, yo, figure this out. We need food. And so water fasting can be really problematic for females because we get very aggressively reactive to not having sustenance. (laughs) So to feed us throughout the day, if we're awake and moving, Um, if you're asleep the whole time, you know, that's probably fine. But um, again, I don't think that there is a ton of benefits to water fasting for the everyday person. Something that is probably acceptable for a short-term experience for somebody is potentially trying, especially if you're somebody who's concerned that you are dealing with too much inflammation, you feel like you've just been eating a ton of junk and uh, your face is puffy, like you just feel imbalanced. You could benefit from doing basically like one big meal 
in a day with a ton of water and like give yourself just one day where you do that, but not weekly or anything like that. Just like a one-time reset. I have seen that help people before, or if you're sick, like with the flu, that's why your body naturally doesn't feel hungry is because your body actually just wants to fight the virus and get it out, which means it doesn't want to think about how to digest and um, assimilate nutrients from food you consume. So it's honestly sometimes better when you're sick to reduce the food, how much food you're eating and what you're eating. And if you do end up going like a whole day when you have day one or day two of the flu, as long as you're consuming liquids that include electrolytes, that's generally okay. That's a natural system in the body. So it's the same concept as what people are trying to achieve with water fasting. However, I wouldn't use it as a means to lose body fat or anything like that. Because again, your body is really smart. It will adjust your metabolic set point to whatever you're doing. So if you are under consuming food, it's not stoking your metabolism or stimulating it rather. It's going to lower the efficiency of, well, it's actually being more efficient by lowering your metabolic output. So let's say every day you eat 1800 calories you water fast, you're eating zero calories. All of a sudden your body is like, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. I need to preserve energy. So I can't keep burning 1800 calories like what I expect to get because of what she's been eating every day. I'm going to lower it to 1600. Okay, they didn't eat again, lowering it 1500. They're still not eating. I don't know what's going on. Let's lower it even more. And then you get a metabolism that is basically firing at let's say 1300 calories with your BMR and all of a sudden you go back to eating food and your metabolism set point is really low. So it's at that 1300 calories and you're consuming food back at 1800 calories again. Well, now you have a 500 calorie surplus to your metabolism. And this is where you usually see people who do that kind of like starvation diet and then they go back to eating or they binge suddenly put on tons of fat. It's their body's mechanism of protecting itself from you completely starving. This is where you see problems with crash dieting and things like that. So water fasting, while there's can be technically a lot more to it, the concept of just fasting for a period of extended period of days and only consuming water can be extremely dangerous. And you can't really easily replenish those nutrients by taking vitamins or things like that, because vitamins on an empty stomach can also cause a lot of issues, especially like B vitamins or zinc or any of those kind of things. I only know because I experienced that recently by accident. So there's, there's just a ton of problems with water fasting. And so all that to say, I highly don't recommend anybody use this uh, just open-endedly for some sort of technique to lose weight or detox, etc. Some of the most common questions that I get um, is, can I have alcohol alongside a fat loss program? Can I, how much can I drink when I'm in a fat loss program? Or sometimes I have to intervene and ask daily questions or weekly questions rather of how much alcohol are you consuming currently? You know, like, is your body weight not moving? Okay, well, let's look at one of the biggest inflammatory and, uh, hormone affecting things that we do consume socially frequently. And that is alcohol. So those are like the questions I usually ask or the questions I get. And typically 
there is too much consistent alcohol consumption every week. And of course, the body, especially when it's in a pissed off inflamed state, because by the nature of how your body and your liver has to process alcohol out of it, A, it stops processing out fat, the liver, when it has to deal with this poison. So all other systems basically shut off while it's trying to get this poison out of you. That's a fact. So anywhere from 24 to 48 hours, sometimes 72, depending on the person and their genetics, because genetics does have a big factor in how you process alcohol. When those systems stop, you're not burning fat. So it doesn't matter if you spent your entire week in a deficit, aka lower calories, trying to instill fat loss. Once you're consuming alcohol, your body isn't even thinking about burning fat and filtering fat out of your body through your liver. Okay, so that's the biggest issue. So most diets, especially serious ones, when they're like uh, time-restricted, so which all diets should be time-restricted, it should never be open-ended. You guys hear me talk about this a lot. <laughs> but when you are doing something like that, anywhere from a six-week to a 15-week, whatever, I wouldn't exceed 15 weeks, you're going to experience essentially your fat loss stalling. So it's just going to kind of stop. And the problem with that then is you get a little bit frustrated because you spent this entire week watching your food. And then even if you just had vodka sodas with lime, like it still is going to stop fat burn. So you're not going to see any progress in that area for a multitude of reasons. But those are the two, the big major ones is that your liver is no longer paying attention to burning your fat and the alcohol causes inflammation in your gut and also kills off the gut good gut bacteria in your body over time. And every time you drink alcohol, um, because we put alcohol on like cuts and things to kill bacteria on our exterior. So obviously it is going to affect our interior, which hundred percent it does. It doesn't matter. There's three major forms of alcohol. And the one that we consume is processed into ethanol. I believe we just refer to it as ethyl alcohol. And um, there's isopropyl, and then there's one other type, but the only one that we can consume safely is then turned into ethanol in our body. And so it's important to understand that that form of alcohol still affects the bacteria in our gut. That's why in like old timey times, people would get cut, and if they had like some bottle of moonshine basically on them. Uh, they would pour it on the cut to try to kill any bacteria that could cause infection. So it's definitely also important to understand that factor because when your gut bacteria over time is affected negatively by consuming too much alcohol too frequently, it creates inevitably imbalances in your gut that does tend to lead to leaky gut, which is also one of the major contributors. Why a lot of people nowadays have leaky gut, aka the cell walls in your intestines are so inflamed that they create gaps and junctions and then things, particles of food and um, bacteria from your gut that is not supposed to go into your bloodstream goes into your bloodstream. And this can lead to a whole multitude of things, including autoimmune diseases, such as like autoimmune thyroid. So we want to make sure that we don't encourage that, right? So I'll usually tell a lot of my clients, like if you're going to go into a dieting phase, it's no alcohol, all bets are off, no alcohol. Because even if you can get away with some alcohol, which I'm going to talk about that in a moment, you still want to put your body in the best position 
that all that freaking effort you're putting into your fitness and your deficit following your calories or your food, you don't want to put that to waste simply by just having one drink on the weekend or something in a temporary span. Okay. So again, this isn't saying you should have no alcohol forever. It's only if you're in a time limited deficit. So a diet that is only a certain amount of weeks. If you can give up alcohol for those 12 to 15 weeks, you're going to put yourself in a very good position to actually have long lasting body recomposition in comparison to if you don't. So I would say the biggest nutritional uh, sabotager of all my female clients, even my males, but less my males, they're a lot more like a hardy, I would say when it comes to fat loss, because they've got so much more testosterone. Um, but for my females, they're constantly sabotaging their fat loss goals or progress, even muscle gain goals because of alcohol consumption. So this is a really big opportunity for you to kind of assess how frequently you are consuming alcohol and see if you can adjust that in your own lifestyle for your goals, because it will a hundred percent impair your muscle growth your recovery, and your fat loss in general for all those different reasons. All right, Rebel, that was the end of our best of 2023 nutrition episode. I'm sure there are so much that I missed that you might have listened to and been like, why didn't she include this? <laughs> it was so hard because I would say, honestly, our nutrition episodes hit the hardest as far as our fan base goes. So I am sorry if I did not include a good chunk of something that you wanted to hear. So if you did have something, let me know. I'd love to hear what your thoughts and whatnot. Of course, always DM me at the Rebel Wellness Podcast on Instagram. But thanks again so much for listening to the Best of Nutrition 2023. I am really excited to see where we go in 2024. And I'm so happy that you're here on our journey. I hope that you found some better understanding and peace with food throughout this entire year's nutrition topics. I covered so many that I felt like were the most hot topics with not only my clientele, but my friends and just the culture on Instagram and multimedia platforms in general. So I really hope that I touched on a topic that you really wanted to hear. And if I didn't, please let me know what you want to hear for next year, because I am gathering a whole bunch of topic ideas for future episodes. But all of this is the main reason why I began podcasting, because I really want you to better understand what you're eating, why you're eating it, and help you break free from the rigidity of diet culture. So next week, we have the best of 2023 fitness from Rebel Wellness coming your way. So stay tuned every Sunday. I expect to see you here next Sunday. <laughs> and I hope you're as excited and eager from as I am for the next uh, episode because it's going to be good. There's so many good fitness things that I hope you can hear either again or for the first time from any of the episodes around the fitness world this year that I hope can help you with your relationship to fitness and movement in general. But as always, celebrate your strength, walk with confidence, and I will catch you next week on another episode of Rebel Wellness. If you are still listening, thank you for tuning in to our latest episode of Rebel Wellness. If you've been enjoying our conversations around health, fitness, and wellness, 
I have some exciting news for you. So if you would love to join our newsletter group, you can join us on coachkales.com or you can join my Stan store at stan.store backslash kales, K-A-I-L-E-S. And that's an awesome opportunity for you to snag some freebies that I've created, including a macro hack grocery list that is going to help you kind of design a custom grocery list, especially for following macronutrients. Because as you know, if you didn't listen to my macros in May series, I would go back to those episodes because it has been a game changer for so many of our listeners for getting more on top of how to shape their physique and their health goals with the food they're eating. So Don't sleep on that. Go get your free download, S-T-A-N, like Stan the man, stan.store backslash kills. And you can also join our newsletter from that. And if you would like to reach out to me, chat, maybe work together, you can also contact me through my website, coachkales.com. And I would absolutely love you to join our Rebel Wellness Podcast Instagram, which is at Rebel Wellness Podcast. And you can also join my flagship coaching page at Coach by Kales. That's where it all began. That's where I share the most um, kind of custom to what I work on specifically with my clients on that page. So join that one. It's all feminine wellness focused. And I share some great stuff, some goofy stuff, things that you just don't want to miss, as well as healthy recipes and things and easy recipes because we all kind of need some easy grab-and-go things, don't we? So I would love you to join both those pages as you'll be joining a community of like-minded females who are all committed to living their best lives. So hit that follow button and I would love if you felt the need to share and rate our podcast. We would love that. Anyways, thanks for listening and I hope to catch you next Sunday.
or say hello on the gram.